Would you stand as Cantrell comes this morning to read our scripture? Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone says, you fool, who's, is in will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. This is the word of the Lord from Matthew 5, 17 through 26. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, as we continue in our summer on the mount this morning, I want to tell you a story that I came across recently that really stood out to me as one who loves going to estate sales. Now, when I go to estate sales, I don't just go to any estate sale. I have to see the pictures in advance and know that there's a really good chance that there's going to be some really cool old things at the estate sale. And some of you all have seen me there perhaps at some sales here in Tulsa, I, I make my way through pretty quickly because I know what I'm looking for and I know what I'm not interested in. And I've loved some of the amazing treasures that I found even here in our city shopping these sales. But this estate sales story did not happen here in Tulsa. It happened in Bordeaux, France last year when a man was walking through and his eyes fell on two objects, an old-looking helmet and an armor breastplate. The man just so happened to be an antiquities expert specializing in military antiquities. And when he saw them, immediately he was suspicious that they were out of place. So he called some of his friends in the European Antiquities Investigation Department, and they said, look what you found. These were stolen 38 years ago from the Louvre in Paris. They're worth $600,000 confiscate them immediately and turn them in so that they might be replaced to their proper home. These, this set of armor came from the late 1500s. It was inlaid with silver and gold and was a treasure that had been missed for decades and not been residing in its proper home. Now, I have yet to find my $600,000 estate sale treasure 
And though I love a good story about old treasures that are found, this one also, I think, ties in well to where we're going in the next few weeks in the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is going to take six different commands from the Hebrew Scriptures, from what we call the Old Testament, some treasures of old that the people knew well, and he's going to restore them to their proper place. He's going to say throughout the rest of Matthew chapter 5, you know these commands, you can recite these commands. Some of you might even say that you've been following them to the letter of the law, but their proper place is to be in your heart. That it's not enough to simply say, I followed the letter of the law. If God doesn't have your heart and if his commands are not in your heart in such a way that it's evident that your life has been transformed. And so in restoring God's word to its proper place, Jesus moves here in the message on the mount from where we began with the Beatitudes, and then as we saw last week, what it means for a disciple to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world, now to what it means to have the word of God in our hearts. And indeed, as Jesus begins here in this section in verse 17, he makes clear to us that every word from God endures forever. There is not one word that comes from God's mouth, one word from God to his people that passes away. But each and every one of them endures forever. And, and Jesus is going to make clear that he, Christ, is the center of them all. No word of God passes away, but at the center of them all is Jesus himself. And so he begins here by addressing what perhaps might have been an accusation. Perhaps some of the religious leaders who were around Jesus, even in the crowds at this moment as he was teaching on these things, had been accusing him of trying to set aside the law or the word Jesus uses here of trying to abolish the law. After all, Jesus was known to physically touch lepers who were unclean they had already accused jesus of doing things like not washing his hands or his disciples not washing their hands properly according to ceremony or later they would accuse jesus of breaking the law by healing on the sabbath perhaps he'd been accused of setting aside the scripture but no jesus says on the contrary as the Son of God who is the author of the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but I have come to fulfill them. I have now brought to pass and in bringing to pass in front of your eyes all that is contained in the law and the prophets because I am the center of them all. All of the scriptures that you as the Hebrew people have had and have held have been preparing you for this moment when the Son of God, the Messiah, is in your midst. And that now you would not only hear and know the word, but you would see the living word in your midst, the fulfillment of the law and the prophets walking among you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said, until heaven and earth disappear not the smallest letter 
not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Now when we hear Jesus' language here, not one letter, not one stroke of a pen, it it brings to our minds an image that is probably a little more germane to our time than to his. We think of a pen being put to paper. E- even more so these days, we think of something being typed out or punched out on a device. But the picture that Jesus is giving here quite literally in the Hebrew language would, would make sense to especially those Hebrew listeners who, who knew the word and who read the scripture or learned the scripture in their own language just to give you a brief little hebrew lesson for a moment in the hebrew language just looking at the alphabet we read from right to left in hebrew instead of from left to right and on the top row of the hebrew alphabet here we go aleph bait gimel dalit hate vav zion hate tate and then we come to the smallest letter and what the hebrew mind would would picture first as jesus says not not even the smallest letter of the word of god will ever disappear would be that small letter the little yod there in the red box not even the yod would disappear but but even more than that what what our english translates is not not even a stroke of a pen would disappear it's it's the stroke added to some of these other letters where as you'll see in the last letter the 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 tove there's the little, the little point that's sticking off the end. Some of the letters have fine points on the top, on the bottom, on the sides. And Jesus says not even the smallest tip or point or stroke of a letter will disappear. But instead, every word, every point, every syllable, every breath that comes from the word of God will last forever. And will by no means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Or as one ancient Christian said in commenting on this verse, divine words are never hollow. They last forever. And when they are in our hearts, when the the very words of God are, are transforming who we are as his people, they endure forever as our hearts endure in christ and not one stroke from the word of god will ever disappear i saw a beautiful example of this a few months ago with my grandmother some of you know my grandmother and and i've mentioned a lot recently that my grandfather passed away in december it was actually on the 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 afternoon when my grandfather was passing that one of our other ministers joined me in that room with my grandmother it was phil dark and phil asked my grandmother if she knew psalm 23 and she said yes and phil said can can we recite psalm 23 together now when he asked her that i had a little moment of nervousness because my grandmother's memory is not what it used to be in fact she's very aware of that and it frustrates her and she'll tell you all the time i think i'm losing my mind and we say no you're not losing your mind you're just losing a little bit of your memory but her memory has has really been an issue recently and yet when phil started with psalm 23 my grandmother did not miss a word it was this this beautiful reminder that she has hidden the word of god in her heart and god has given us his word in such a way that it works strangely with our brains 
that when we hide his word in our heart, even though other things may pass, his word remains. And when we stand upon his word, when we call it to mind in those moments when we need it the most, isn't it amazing that his word is there? Isn't it amazing how he does that sometimes with songs? Songs that we sing in worship, songs that we've known for decades. They're still there even when other things have passed away. And, and especially those words that come from God when we build our lives on them. They're always there. Divine words are never hollow. Or as God himself said in Isaiah 55, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven... And do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I have sent it. Or as Jesus said later, heaven and earth will pass away. But my words will never pass away. Not one letter, not one stroke of a pen will be removed from the word of the Lord until the day of the Lord when Christ returns. When we build our lives upon them, when we as disciples live upon his words and, and as we walk in his kingdom, his words are in our heart we will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others to set them aside will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Are we a people? Am I a person? Are you a person who has built your life and is building your life upon the foundation of the word of God? If we are those kinds of people, if you are that person who is building that foundation upon the word of God, then I ask, why so often do you, do I, do we go looking elsewhere for truth and for answers and for solutions to all of these difficult things we have to navigate on a regular basis? Why, when we have the word of God, would we ever turn to anywhere else first? before we continue to build our lives and our beliefs and our principles and dare I say even our preferences upon the word of God. To you husbands, to you dads here on this Father's Day, are you investing in your wives and in your children according to God's word? Are you modeling for them what it looks like to stand on that foundation and implanting that word in them in the ways that you are leading and serving in your family? We heard this quote at, at our convention this last week. I thought it was beautiful and tied so well to what it also means to be the church. Juan Sanchez, a pastor from Texas, said, A, a healthy church is built upon the word of God, so that the people of God might become like the Son of God for the glory of God. These words from the Sermon on the Mount are also good for those of us who teach here in our church. Are we teaching in such a way that 
that no one would leave that setting, whether it be in, in here or our chapel or the fellowship hall or the gym or, or in your classroom, that no one would leave that space and say that the teaching came from any other foundation, any other source than the Word of God. Anyone who sets aside any of the least of these commands will be called least, but anyone who follows them, who builds their life upon them, will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus says in verse 20, and, and the people and the disciples who heard this verse must have thought that this sounded impossible. Verse 20, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you certainly will not enter the kingdom of heaven. The Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they were the ones who claimed to be the experts in God's law. They were the ones who claimed to have an interpretation for every one of the 613 commandments found in the Hebrew Scriptures. And they claimed that, that their interpretations were the right ones which were supposed to be trusted. And yet Jesus made clear that in fact, Many Pharisees and teachers of the law showed contempt for the law and the prophets because they constantly added to them more burdens, more of their own preferences, their rules, their traditions than God's word had actually spoken. Jesus said of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who always told everyone they were great, be careful Though they sit on Moses' seat, Jesus said in Matthew 23, be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when they have succeeded, they make them twice as much a child of hell as they are. They give a tenth of their spices, their mint, their dill, their cumin, but they have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. They are blind guides. In other words, Jesus says, to his true disciples be very careful who you follow be very careful whose words you listen to and put into practice because even in this moment the most religious those who constantly told the people we are to be most trusted were the kind of people about whom jesus said do what they say but not what they do because they do not practice what they preach. Listen, if it was hard in Jesus' day for people to know who to trust, who to listen to, how hard is it for us in 2022? Thankfully, what Jesus does here, what he reminds us, is that the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the religious leaders, they are not at the center of God's word. Christ is. And when we are looking for the most perfect, the most trustworthy example of how God's word is to be understood and to be put into practice, we have Jesus. Every word of God endures forever. 
and Jesus Christ is the center of them all. And he says, look not to the overly religious, but look to me. And what he then does in the next part of the Sermon on the Mount, where we're going to spend the, the next three weeks, is he takes six different commands, and, and he says, I've not come to abolish them, I'm not taking away from them, but, but rather what I'm doing is intensifying them. I'm, I'm, I'm bringing these back to your mind to say I'm not taking away from God's word, but I'm intensifying it so that you would remember it's not just about the letter of the law, but in restoring it to its right place in your hearts. The first question to ask is, does God have your heart? And if he has your heart, then his word is doing that work of transforming who you are. God's word is meant to transform our hearts and our attitudes and our actions. Next week, it's going to seem repetitive when our scripture reading starts with this text where we ended today. But I just wanted to introduce it for a moment so that we see again what Jesus has done so consistently already in the Sermon on the Mount and what he will do throughout. That he gives us this big idea. He helps us understand in a new way what is at the heart of the Word of God. But then he follows by giving us some examples of how to put it into practice. As, as Glenn mentioned last week, the, the best way to teach and preach and Jesus models for us here is, hey you, I'm getting your attention, look, see what God says, and then do it. Put it into practice. Jesus moving to this fulfillment of the law. How has he come to fulfill it? How has he come to emphasize it? How is he bringing to pass all that is contained in the law and the prophets? Well, Jesus uses an example of what it looks like for God's word to transform hearts, attitudes, and actions. And he starts with probably what is the most fundamental command in the Ten Commandments. It's not the first one, but if you were to ask anybody if they could name the Ten Commandments, they'd probably tell you first, do not murder. That's the one that seems to be foundational in the Ten Commandments and probably in every culture and society in the world. Thou shalt not kill. But look, Jesus says, the true disciple who's living, experiencing the transformed life holds himself or herself to a much higher standard than just, I'm not going to kill somebody. Verse 21, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. And again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, or or call someone a numbskull, as we might say in English. They can be answerable to the court. But anyone who says, you fool, which is a way of saying to someone, God doesn't even have your heart. You, you, you're not even valued before God any longer. Anyone who, who treats their brother or sister with that level of contempt is actually in danger of the fire of hell. Because... That the evidence of that level of contempt for a brother or sister is, is it not evidence that God doesn't even have your heart at all? 
as an example of what it looks like to live a transformed life. When it comes to anger and hatred and division, again, true disciples of Jesus are held to a much higher standard than simply, you shall not murder. Jesus is saying here that murder and anger and hatred, they flow in the same stream. It's not enough just to say, I've never committed that act of violence with my hands. Jesus says, but what's in your heart? And, and when you look at your brother or sister, when you look to your neighbor, what is it that you see? And if the word of God has truly transformed your heart, then it also has transformed your attitudes, and it will be evident in your words and in your actions. And though the Pharisees and the teachers of the law claim to be experts in all of those 613 commands, we need only look to the Gospels to see example after example where they showed contempt for their neighbor. So Jesus says, my true disciple, the one who is truly following my ways, will remember the two great commandments. Does God have all of your heart? Do you love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength? And out of that great love for God and through God, do you love your neighbor as yourself? Because in fulfillment of the law, seeing Christ at the center of the law, it comes out in us, in our hearts, our attitudes, our actions, our love for our neighbor as ourself. I'll tell you what, as I was preparing this message for this morning and as we'll go further into it next week this is a message i need to hear too that i need to be reminded that that hatred and murder anger frustration bitterness and murder they flow in the same stream and it's not enough for me to say as a disciple as a follower of jesus Simply that I've not done a few things while others are still present in my heart. But rather, as Jesus says in the final verses, not just if I have something against someone, but if someone has something against me, before I come to worship, before I enter into his presence, it's on me as a disciple to seek that reconciliation. It's on me as a follower of Christ to initiate making it right before I bring my gift, before I bring my offering and leave it at the altar to first and go and be reconciled to make sure that in my heart, my love for God is present, but also my love for my brother or sister, my love for my neighbor. That as I'm living a transformed life or seeking to live that kind of life, that Jesus has modeled for me both the perfect rejection of hate and also the perfect love that I'm called to show to another. He called us to live transformed lives so that by our love for one another, as he said to his disciples, that everyone will know that we are his disciples. And so I ask you this morning, do you know that love today? Do you know the love that God has for you? 
Are, are you living with that confidence that even if love from others is failing you, that God's love, like his word, will never fail you? And are you living in love towards others? Or today, is there something in your heart that is contrary to the transformed heart, the transformed life that Christ brings? Today, would you be willing, if that thing is in your heart, or maybe like I've done at times in my life, you're holding on to that thing with white knuckles. Today, would you be willing to let it go? And as we have an opportunity now, as we close our time of worship, to respond. If Christ is calling you to take that step of letting go and seeking that reconciliation so that that love might be in the right place where it's supposed to be, would you be willing today, on this Father's Day, even just to take the first step to making those things right? Would you bow your heads and pray with me? God, I thank you for your faithfulness today. I thank you for the many ways that I've experienced your forgiveness. I've experienced your mercy and your love. And I pray as we have this time of invitation, this time of response, that you would speak to every heart. Lord, for that person who might have never given their life to you, their life is not being built upon your word. They've They've never looked to Christ and the cross for salvation. Today, Lord, would you show them how much you love them? Lord, would you point them to Jesus? Today, would they take that step to confess their sin and give their heart, their all, to Jesus Christ? For the disciples in the room, for those of us who follow you, Lord, would you show us from this simple teaching what it looks like to live transformed lives, and what it looks like for our hearts to be like yours with the kind of love that you give a christ-like love help each and every one of us lord to take the step of obedience today that you're calling us to take in jesus name amen